Are you ready? Well, I hope you're ready because the show has just begun. Welcome to The Way It Is, episode 41, The Big Kahuna, the grand finale, New Year's Day 2021 from beautiful Bayside, Melbourne, Victoria. The finale, the Super Bowl, the World Series, the grand finale, the end. This is it. This is it, kids. And uh, it's New Year's Eve if you're in London or Italy or France or China or wherever else in uh, the U.S. But uh, here at home, New Year's Day. New Year's Day. Well, actually, no, it's not all quiet here on New Year's Day, because you're with me. You're with me, the official Bobby Galinsky Way It Is podcast. And uh, this will be a show unlike any other. You've probably guessed that already. Unless you're a new listener, if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, uh, I guess it's kind of like, it's going to be kind of like, uh, what's it going to be like? What's a good analogy? I love a good analogy. I guess it's like opening a door and you didn't realize it was the door on a submarine and you're at the bottom of the ocean and you go, whoa, didn't expect that because this is a show unlike any other. However, if you've listened to all the previous 40, well, <laughs> first of all, you'll be one of the smartest people on the planet and uh, most equipped for any type of interlude, interrogatory, and intersection, or conversation, or intercourse, social intercourse with anyone, not that kind of intercourse, social intercourse, the way people used to, the way people used to talk and discuss. And today, we will be talking and discussing. This will be a lengthy show. You're going to get your money's worth, and it's free. It's why the Jews love to listen to the podcast. Yeah, I love that the Bobby Kalinsky, uh, it's free. It doesn't cost anything and there's no ads. So I enjoy it a lot. And uh, But it's free. It's free for all. Free for all. And uh, wherever you are, that's where you're going to be. So some of the things we're going to be talking about tonight, today, this morning, wherever you are, is uh, we're going to get a lot of things off our chest, a lot of things to say, a lot of things to talk about, and going to get some of them off our chest. And uh, there'll be a few paradoxes. There'll be some conundrums. There'll be enigmas wrapped in riddles. And there'll be some thought-provoking thank yous and things like that. Because by the time you finish this, mostly, wherever you are, it'll be 2021. And I spoke to God. I spoke to I speak to God all the time. Uh, I do truly. I, this this isn't satire or hyperbole or anything like that. I speak to God all the time. I'm actually quite a spiritual person. I'm not an Orthodox Jew. Um, I don't wear funny clothes and I don't keep kosher and worry about opening a fucking umbrella on the high holidays. You know, if it's raining, 
you know, if it's raining and I got to go somewhere, I open an umbrella. So uh, there's some things in the Torah that I'll be rewriting also. But uh, to my Orthodox Jewish listeners, and I know there's some good friends out there, I pardon you. But as I was saying, I was talking to God, and I said, God? And he says, yes, Bobby. And that deep God baritone voice that he has, he, yes, he. One, he's white, and two, it's a man. So let's let's dispel that that rumor. I think it's a black woman. No, 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 no. Sorry. Let's get a few things straight here for the podcast. But um, and he's got a white beard, and he sits up on a throne in the sky, and he's fit. He is very fit. Well, he's like you know, forever old, but he's fit. I like to think I'm old and fit, but man, is God fit? But anyway, I said God. 2020 was a really bizarre year. And what's 2021 going to be like? And he said, Bobby, it is really going to suck, but in a much different way than 2020. I said, oh, okay. All right. So that's a prediction. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of you are saying 2020 was the worst year. I really... You know, I was angry about a lot of things in 2020, but I saw a lot of great things in 2020, too, also, I should say also. And you know what? Looking through history, and, you know, we do the today in history, and we uh, we like to look at the astrology of how things time and the serendipity and coincidence, and you know, I believe coincidence is just God's way of remaining anonymous, but... Uh, I don't think 2020 was as bad as a lot of people say, oh, worst year ever, worst year ever. I think, you know, if you were in the trenches in World War I and Germans were dropping mustard gas all over your ass, that's a fucked up year. That's a bad year. Or if you were in Vietnam and, you know, falling into tunnels with punji stakes and things like that, that's a bad year. Or, you know, if you're in even though the Japanese were our enemy in World War II. They're our friends now. And I've got, I, I love everything Japanese. I do. Everything Japanese. Food, fashion, you know, just about everything. So I think if you were in Hiroshima or Nagasaki in August of uh, 1945, that's a fucked up year also. So I think we got to keep things in perspective. Being locked down here sucked. It took our freedoms away. And freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. But um, I know my singing has brought most of you through 40 episodes, you know. But that really sucked. Not being able to drive anywhere and wearing masks all the time. I really hate wearing the masks. And uh, that's kind of returned temporarily. We had a few cases just pop up in Victoria. And of course, the news media, the the fame news media, oh, panic, Victoria, panic. You know, it was like three cases, six cases, 10 cases. So just freaking out, everything like that, close the borders, whatever. Now, got to contain it, nip it in the bud. I like that. But it's the absolute panic, the news media, the news media that wouldn't report on, um, you know, the U.S. election with irregularities in all the states, but feel 
that they got to report on something else. Um, but uh, yeah, 2020. Think of the things, and uh, there's going to be a lot of hat tips at the end of the show for you know people who inspired me. I'll say some of them up front. Dan Bongino of the uh, Bongino Report. He's one of the smartest guys. Um, Mark Levin of uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin, and just some amazing books that I've read this year that uh, have inspired me, and just things that I've known over the years, or just things that have kind of come to me in my head. I'm not saying that I'm any kind of genius. Um, I hear voices in my head all the time, but uh, so did Ted Bundy. Um, But it's, you know, which direction you take in life? Which direction you take in life? We were watching a bit about Ted Bundy the other day on a, a pretty good show on Foxtel called Crazy, Not Insane. So even before we get to the entertainment portion of this show, that's something that you might want to watch. Because if you listen to this podcast, are you crazy or insane? Watch that show and then get back to me through the comments. No, not crazy or insane. It's about serial killers. I'll flag I'll flag that in advance. Uh, we're going to be all over the shop with this show because we're just going to be talking about whatever we want to talk about because there's not going to be any continuation. There's not going to be any epilogue. There's not going to be any serialization uh, going on. So it's just just things that are just things that are on the list, so to speak. The stimulus, the stimulus bill. Boy, I'll be get, I'll be getting into that heavy in this show. Absolutely, be getting into that heavy in this show. And we're going to talk about mice and cocaine and socialism. What do mice and cocaine and socialism have in common? Well, let me tell you. Socialism, which is simply communism light for, you know, people that don't like to use the C word, communist, is redistributing wealth. And Bill de Blasio, the worst mayor in the history of New York, gave a big speech about redistributing the wealth. Now, I'm not paraphrasing. I am not paraphrasing. The mayor of New York, one of the most formerly, one of the most entrepreneurial cities in the world, responsible for some of the greatest wealth, the greatest inventions, the greatest achievements of mankind, has given a big speech, and there'll be the link in the show notes. I'm not going to waste time and even have his voice on my podcast, but you should listen to it, about deciding to redistribute the wealth in New York. Now, do you know what redistribute means? That means take it from those that have it and give it to those who don't. Now, it's good to give to those in need, but in socialism, If you take it away and keep taking it away and keep taking it away, then those that create and manifest wealth will stop creating and manifest wealth. Because who wants to go to work every morning when you know you're going to work for someone else, to pay someone else instead of yourself? It, It always ends, and it always ends badly. And it always has forever since the beginning of time, every socialist experiment fails. And to use to use an analogy that kind of came to me while I was listening to a couple of other things, how many of you know what the Skinner box is? Raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. 
even you lefties. We had to do this last week, and I hope that was a helpful exercise. Well, those of you that took psychology, even psychology 101, which just about everybody did who went to college, or you might have even studied this in high school, um, even, even liberals in the U.S. might even know what this is. In the 1930s, the psychologist B.F. Skinner devised the operant conditioning chamber, or the Skinner box, which they put rats in, white mice. White mice, of course, was white privileged mice. They weren't actually white privileged by the end of it. And um, they had two little levers, or levers, if you will. And if the mousy, 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 if the mousy, where's my mousy? Where is my, oh my God, my mousy has disappeared. There was a mousy in here a while ago. Oh, there he is. There he is. Mousy! You'll see Mousy in the show notes. If the mouse pressed one lever, it would get a reward. Liquid cocaine. Yes, in the 1930s, liquid cocaine. And that was quite a nice reward. And if it pressed the other lever, it would get an electric shock. Ooh, not very good. Now, I actually think that that should have been instituted in Guantanamo Bay for um, Islamic fundamentalists, but with no reward. Every lever only has pain. But uh, they didn't let me run Guantanamo Bay. But I could be going on to that job after this. There, There's other opportunities out there. So the mousies in the box, the Skinner box, it learns after a while because it gets no food and no water. So it's it starts checking things out. If you had no food, no water, and you saw two levers, you'd eventually start pressing them and see what happens. So after a few, bzz, 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 the mousey knows that don't press the electric lever. But if you press the one that gets liquid cocaine, oh, not hungry anymore. Your you know, thirst is abated and uh, things are good in mousey world. So that was quite simple. But do you know what is most interesting? And no one ever really thought of this, that they put several mice in the box and all the mice had to learn individually. Not one fucking mouse, not one ever, never in the history of mousedom, even, even Walt Disney's mice, even, you know, I spent years at Disney and trust me, that put me off mice completely. Although the first year was great. And we've talked about that in earlier podcasts. Which one? We'll go back and listen. I think it was two or three. Um, it was a great job for a while. So, no, it was a great company for a while. Not one mouse in the history of mousedom ever, ever taught another mouse what to do. Not one of them ever got into the socialism thing and said, hey, you know what, little Mickey? Little mini, you know, little, you know, miles, miles, whatever. Don't press that fucking lever. You'll get a shock. Don't press that lever, get a shock. Press this lever. You'll get liquid cocaine. Oh, oh, thanks. Thanks, Ronaldo. Thanks, Ronaldo. That's so good of you. God, socialism works. You've saved us all the electric shock, and you're sharing. You're sharing all your liquid mousy cocaine with us. Now, do you see what I mean? Socialism doesn't even work with rats. No one instinctly or inherently wants to give up their only source 
of food, water, sustenance, and teach others. That's human nature. So, Mr. Bill de Blasio, um, who is possibly one of the worst worst politicians in history, and I had to get this one out of my system. Um, no, you're not going to redistribute the wealth in New York. Maybe that's why 4% of New Yorkers have relocated in the past 24 months. Do you think it was COVID? No, I don't think so much it was COVID. I think that they got the clue and they GTFO'd out of there. And most of them are in Texas, Arizona, and Florida, which have more advantageous taxes and nicer weather. And they don't have a socialist government trying to take things away from them. And I use this as a microcosm of what is going on in the world with everyone especially in the U.S., but second here in Australia and third in the U.K., already gone in Italy and France with these socialist movements to redistribute the wealth. Well, since I'm just analogizing and I'm saved up all of these wonderful little stories, I'm going to borrow from Dinesh Souza who's a pretty smart guy and a filmmaker, who talked, about, who talked about the story of the flute. Because some of you think, oh, the mouse and the cocaine, that doesn't really apply. Those are mice, and, and that doesn't apply. So let's talk about humans. You've got three children. You've got Clara, who built and created a flute to play. And you've got Sally, who was a fantastic flautist. And you've got Ingrid, who's never, ever been allowed to play the flute or had the money to buy a flute. Now, who should get the flute? Should it be Clara, who actually created the flute and owns it? It's hers. Or should it be Sally, who is the most proficient flautist in the world and thus could play it the best? Should it be given to her? Or should it be given to poor Ingrid, Poor, underprivileged little Ingrid, who's never had a flute. Well, when you let the government, a socialist government, decide, the socialist government will take it from the real owner. Clara is the real owner. She built it. She thought it up. She got the materials. She created it. She made it. Without Clara, there would be no flute. And of course, Sally. Sally's a proficient, amazing flautist. She's the best. She probably th feels a little bit of ownership because no one can play it better, but she didn't build it. She didn't create it. And Ingrid. Oh, poor Ingrid. Should we give it to Ingrid? Because some people would feel that would be nice to do. Well, every one of those arguments has value. But ultimately, if you go with the socialist value and take it from Clara, and give it to either Sally or Ingrid, eventually Clara will stop building flutes because why would she build flutes forever and spend her money if eventually they're always taken away and she gets no reward? And that, my friends, is what is happening in government. And that is not the way it is, nor the way it should be. So a harbinger of doom of what's going on. President Trump just signed a bill the other night that um, 
is going to give away thousands of dollars to everyone in the U.S. And if you're broke, that money's going to come in handy. But I think people forget that there's no money ferry, and that's their own money anyway. These are all people that paid taxes, and now they're going to get some checks. And the fucking government, the Republicans and Democrats alike, I'm not taking sides here, the Republicans and Democrats alike are printing money and printing money and printing money and printing money. And eventually it could be like the Weimar Republic in Germany um, pre-World War II when you've seen the photos, maybe, maybe you haven't. Well, if you haven't studied history, like most kids haven't in school today, you probably haven't. But Google, in fact, actually don't Google, use any other, use any other search engine other than Google because they're tech tyrants now. And uh, although I invariably Google because it's what comes up on my screen. If you search the Weimar Republic, W-E-I-M-A-R, Republic, Germany, you'll see people pushing wheelbarrows full of money, wheelbarrows full of money, because the government was printing and printing and printing and printing and printing money. And in fact, at one point, they had to have three pay services per day. People in the morning there'd be a pay break. People in the afternoon, there'd be a pay break because the money that was in the morning didn't have the same value as the money in the afternoon. It was losing value. And then late in the afternoon at the end of the day, they get paid again because the money that they got paid with earlier in the morning and the afternoon was not worth as much anymore. Absolutely crazy. And that's what happens. That's basic economics. That's the hyperinflation that happened in 1923 and can happen all over again when you keep printing money and inflation will begin. And you know what? I'm scared for the world. I'm super scared for the U.S. I'm scared for here in Australia, though not as much. We are in a much, much, much better position. I can't think of a better place, a more blessed and lucky place to be than Australia right now. Um, but I can't let go of my American heritage. And the UK, the UK, thank God they loosened themselves from the mafia of the European Union with that ridiculous Brexit. Nobody in the UK ever thought they were Europeans. What a stupid idea. And uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm pretty worried about Boris, though. So that's that's politics and economics. How's that going for everybody? I know you're not studying it in school. So you get it here for free. Oh my God, what a heavy way to start a show. Is the whole show going to be like this? No, there'll be a lot of humor. There'll be a lot of fun. There'll be jokes. There'll be satire. There'll be some darkness. There's been some darkness the past couple of weeks. You never know. I talked about last week, you know, people were starting businesses. They never knew that, you know, the Wu flu was around the corner. They never knew that our friend China... Our friend China, which would crush us in a New York minute, a pre-Bill de Blasio New York minute, um, would absolutely love to crush us and enslave us and just fuck us over, and they don't care. They don't. They've never cared about anyone. They've never cared about their own people. And, you know, if the people are fine, it's the government. CCCP, one of those stands for communist, folks. Never forget that. And, uh, you know... A lot of people never saw what was coming, but they didn't know that they didn't know. And, you know, I thought, I thought at the beginning of 
this year, I had a film project that was just about ready to go with a director and a couple potential actors and then boom, that's gone. So you never know what'll hit you and there's been some dark forces out there and you know, we all have an expiry date. And this podcast's expiry date is today. Maybe I've got an expiry date today. Maybe not. Maybe next week. Maybe 30 years. But we all have expiry dates. And the theme of this show is from a wonderful book called The Black Swan. Hat tipped again to Dan Bongino, who put me onto this book. And uh, The Black Swan, I originally flipped through it in 2010, but uh, leafed through it. But I wasn't in the mental space for it. And I got back onto it. And Basically, it's the impact of the highly improbable book by author and former options trader Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And the book focuses on the extreme impact of rare and unpredictable outlier events, black swan events, and the human tendency to find simplistic explanations for these events. If there's one book that I think you should read. And there are never shoulds in life. Don't should on yourself. If there's one book, I think in these times that you should read, that's it. It's amazing. And the theme of this show is about chasing opportunities and not chasing trains, which is from that book. Very simply, there's so much goodness out there. There's so much amazement that came out of COVID, that preceded COVID, Wuflu, and the, the, the world is an amazing place. I have always said, always said, and in every episode of this podcast, that there is an equal or greater opportunity on the side of darkness and catastrophe and woe and despair. And you just have to be open to it and find it and look for it. If you look for despair, you'll find despair. If you look for opportunity, you'll find it. And uh, I've always been blessed that my wife says, I'm a, not a glass half full person, I'm a glass overflowing. And I, and I love that. But also, don't chase trains. In other words, if your train is at 5.02 p.m. And if you get there at 5.04 p.m., don't run after it. You fucked up. Not the train. You fucked up. You fucked up. So you knew the train was at 5.02. You didn't make it, so it wasn't important to you. Chase opportunities, not trains. And uh, I think that really is going to be what happens in 2021 and beyond. And no, God didn't say it was going to suck. It said it's going to suck for some people when I spoke to him the other day. Because... Um, they, they, those people are always looking for the negative, always looking for the negative. I think even some of the most negative people have come, come good by the end of this year. Even look at social media posts, Facebook and, you know, Rumble and TikTok and Twitter and everything. And people seem to be hopeful, say, all right, 2020 was fucked or whatever. And they lost somebody or they couldn't go to a funeral or things like that. Things that happen anytime anyway. And, um, they're looking forward to the to the future in a simplistic, positive way. I am. I am. I'm always hopeful. And and just being hopeful, you know, just being positive, you know, 
affirmations and stuff like that. That's, you know, you got to take action. You got to take action. And uh, we're going to shift gears in a second. We're going to shift gears and go into the past and the positive. But just to finish the the New York note, passionate about New York, because I love New York, love visiting New York. My mom was born in New York. And uh, so there's some New York in me. Who doesn't love New York? Um, Bill de Blasio doesn't love New York. Neither does Governor Cuomo. And this bothers me because you, you know that I've been studying Italian. I love, you know, I said I love all things Japanese. I love all things Italian even more. I love Italian fashion, oh, Italian cars, Italian food, Italian furniture, Italian people. Some of my best friends are Italian. Italians are just cool people. What a love of life. And Italian movies. But, but, I even love, you know, the mafia, you know, the Sopranos and, you know, the Godfather. The mafia gets shit done. And they got a code and it's ethical. But, but Bill de Blasio and government, Governor Cuomo of New York are two Italians destroying the state. What, what is going on? What happened there? Why, why, why can't all the other Italians in the world rise up and, and sort these guys out? Because it's just absolutely spoiling everything Italian. I mean, you got to look at it and go, absolutely got to go. Chi ha lasciato che queste du puzzolente fiche inutile gestissero lo stato di New York e la chitita di New York? Che cazzo te di spagliato e voi, gente? So I'm going to leave it in your hands on that one. Because that's what we got to deal with today. 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 died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. It's my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Yes, you know, it's time for Today in History. Today in History. Today in History. For newcomers to the show, which will be latecomers, because this is all she wrote, it's one of my favorite times because history repeats itself and those that do not learn from history are destined to repeat their mistakes. And there's a lot of them here and there's a lot of goodness. Well, let's go back to 45 BC. 45 BC on this day, the Julian Julian calendar took effect for the first time. Then in one, <laughs> what a great year, one, we're going to imagine writing a check out. One, 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 January 1st, one. What a great check. It was the origin of the Christian era. Then, I guess you couldn't backdate a check then, you know, on the first of the first of the first. Uh, I need that money, um, Julian. Well, I, I'm not going to have it. Could, could you backdate the check to BC? Okay, BC. Well, let's forward to 177. Commodus, the son of Emperor Marcus Aurelius, you should know this, becomes consul for the first time at 15, then the youngest ever in Roman history. 15. Today, 15-year-olds can't even drive a fucking car. In 404, the last gladiator competition in Rome. I think they probably felt it was pretty much like this podcast. It was an end of an era. Then in 630, Prophet Muhammad sets out his army towards Mecca, 
capturing it bloodlessly. Well, that's very un-Islamic. And you know what? Today, if you feel like it, draw some cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad and send them Send them to a friend. In 1515, Jews are expelled from Laibach in Austria. Well, historically, it's always been fuck the Jews and um, never has changed. But we like to we like to highlight some of the lowlights. In 1527, this one's for you, Slavko. Croatian nobles elect Ferdinand I of Austria as king of Croatia in the parliament on Seton. 1600. Now... Picture this, Scotland, Scotland begins its numbered year on January 1st. Well, of course you'd start your year on January 1st instead of the 25th of March. Only the fucking Scots get so drunk all the time, you know, on their scotch. You know, if you've seen a sober Scotsman, call me. I'll I'll give you my number. Um, They started their year. Well, okay, 1600. All right, we're going to start on January 1st. 1673. Regular mail delivery begins between New York and Boston. Whoa, well, maybe they thought they should talk to each other. 1710 was massive. Paris merchant Jean Marius obtained a five-year royal privilege for his invention. What did he invent? A folding umbrella, the first in Europe. That, that was a big move. Then 1724, Glass blower Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit. I bet you can't guess what this bitch did. Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit proposed a system for making thermometers and the Fahrenheit temperature. The Fahrenheit temperature scale in a paper to the Royal Society of London and is elected a fellow on its basis. I'd love to look up more about why centigrade wasn't good enough, but this is the end, my friend. 1788, Quakers in Pennsylvania, not Quakers like Michael J. Fox, but Quakers in Pennsylvania emancipate their slaves. Mm, Might not have been a good move. 1808, Sierra Leone becomes a British colony. Sierra Leone, as you might recall, had a wonderful decade starting in 1991 when the Revolutionary United Front, the RUF, was a rebel army that fought a failed 11-year war. Child soldiers were heavily recruited and the RUF instituted a policy of cutting off the hands of captured soldiers. Well, how did that go? I guess that's I guess that's where the original hands-free mobile phone would come into come into play. 188 just kidding. Sadness. Very sad. Very sad. 1818. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus is published anonymously. I hadn't known that, but the small London publishing house of Lackington Hughes, Harding, Mayer, and Jones. 1863. A big day, the Emancipation Proclamation on this day, issued by Honest Abe Lincoln to free slaves in U.S. Confederate states. Said, you're free. I want you to wait, you know, a couple hundred years. And then in 2020, I want you to go on an absolute rampage and start a group called Black Lives Matters and loot and burn and go crazy. And it's really, uh, it's a good way to... Good way to memorialize things. Just kidding. See how far we've come? Can't we all just get along, people? 
Okay. Okay. And um, then, then, 1874, New York City annexes the Bronx. Now, if you ever get to the Bronx, the Bronx is tough, but there is one of the best steakhouses in the U.S. It's called The Flame, and it's in the Bronx. So other than Sparks Steakhouse in Manhattan, where there's been a lot of mob hits, you got to get to The Flame in the Bronx. Trust me on that one. 1881, Dr. John Watson is introduced to Sherlock Holmes in a story written by Arthur Conan Doyle, which, for most of you kids, is when Jude Law was introduced to Robert Downey Jr. 1896, German physicist William Röntgen announced his discovery of X-rays. Wow, that helped the Fantastic Four. In 1901, coming back home here, the Commonwealth of Australia is formed when the British Imperial Parliament Act, the Commonwealth of Australia Constitution Act of 1900, comes into effect. Australia, fuck yes. Now, on this day in film and TV, in 1953, the year I was born, year of the snake, the first TV detector van used to track down users of unlicensed TV sets begins operation in the UK. Whoa! Talk about tracking. Stealth. In music, in 1960, Johnny Cash played the first of his many free concerts behind bars. And in sport, on this day, January 1st, 1902, the first Rose Bowl. Tournament Park, Pasadena, California, Michigan, which currently has one of the nine dumbest governors in history, the witless Whitmer, beats Stanford 49-0. to zero. The MVP was Neil Snow, the Michigan fullback. And on this day, January 1st, in Melbourne, Australia, the Way It Is official Bobby Galinsky podcast came to a close. And that was Today in History. This is the end. Yes, thank you, Jim Morrison, for that for that poignant moment. I know that some of you out there were thinking, well, God, I hope he plays the whole song. Fuck the podcast. I only listen for the great songs. But then some of you might be thinking, oh, is he, is he coming back? What's going on here? Yes, it's what you don't know that you don't know. And that's what we love about this podcast. Um, because, boy, things can come out of left field. I know that I've had a few things come out of left field of late. Didn't see that coming. Whoa! But um, one of those was 2020. Now, 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 there's just so much goodness to talk about. Um, i got to talk about some of the real goodness that's, uh, that's out there. Because um, after our walk this morning, we were just going into... Uh, little cafe for a bite to eat and the coffee and tea and boom qr code you're registered in tap the phone 
um, things like that, um, contactless payment, all these things that were like, they're ready for COVID. They're ready for Wu flu so that when China give us big surprise, big surprise, um, we were ready for it. You know, the uh, retina scans at some of the airports, uh, TSA pre-check, um, uh, you know, everything. Now, now, Apple Pay, but Apple Pay wasn't ready for masks. No one was ready for masks. But uh, there's some just astonishing things. Now, kind of a mixed blessing of astonishment are the vaccines, the vaccines. Now, being that um, the spouse and I are nearing our seventh decade, hopefully, we, um, we're going to have to have that vaccine to travel because... Governments are not going to let us come and go, come and go hither and thither without proof of vaccination. And nor will we be able to get travel insurance. And we love to travel. Traveling is uh, a passion of ours, a passion along with fashion. And uh, what better thing is there really than discovering the world and meeting other people who want to blow you up and destroy you and take over your way of life? No. No, I'm talking about not visiting those countries, but, uh, you know, France and Germany and Italy. Oh, I love Italy. And, of course, England, our favorite, Claridge's, Claridge's, which sadly is closed again, as you know, Tier 19 in London has come in. But, um, and it's cold there. It's cold in London. The Christmas lights are dimming from lack of activity. But I must say I discovered something in an article in Atlantic Science which you'll see in the show notes from Dr. Richard Porter. That, uh, this is not science, bitches. That's still coming. I'm not going to rob you of that. But the kind of the mixed blessing of the vaccination and the vaccines. First of all, back in February and March, when it was all first flagged, and um, President Trump had a pretty epically bad interview with uh, um, oh, the Watergate guy. Can't even remember his name. There you go. That's what I... Uh, Bob Woodward. Um, Bob Woodward, and uh, uh, said, you know, I didn't want to scare people and this, that, and the other. And then a couple months later said, in April, we'll have a vaccine before the end of the year. Now, every major news agency, CNN, you know, rubbish, Washington Post, MSNBC, all these fake news, left-wing, psychopathic, you know, networks, which is okay you know, I've accepted that. Okay, if they're left-wing, I know that. I watch them. I get some information I like. I get some information that I don't like. I get some information I don't believe, but I also get some entertainment. So that's okay, because I have the ch choice to watch right conservative networks also, uh, like what Fox used to be uh, until November 6th. But um, so no, I, you know, people say, oh, crush the fake news networks. No, let anybody have their news where, wherever they want. I've, I've uh, not a cancel culture person, but every one of the left-leaning, Democrat-influenced, bought-and-paid-for networks said, no vaccine, there'll never be a vaccine, Trump lie, Trump lie, Trump lie, Trump lie. Never been a vaccine in less than five to eight years. Never been a vaccine at all. Won't happen. I could actually play you a supercut. I might play it later in the show. Depends. And uh, just to refresh your memory, well, here we are, and at the end of November last month, we had not one but two vaccines, 
because the government, the Trump administration, um, with their Operation Warp Speed, pumped zillions into fast-tracking a vaccine. So uh, have any of those networks, you know, backtracked or recanted or say, oh, you know, it was right? No, they haven't. And they never will. However, so that's, that's the good news. Now, the bad news, which I read in the science publication and also read corroborated in mathematics and science, and all the uh, references will be in the show notes from Dr. Alsman Corland, said that um, although it's rumored that no DNA is actually altered with the virus so that we can, um, changing the DNA to fight the virus, they say it doesn't do that, it's a rumor, it does affect the DNA and charge off the DNA. And again, it's not substantiated, but two major medical organizations are quite worried. That's okay, because I'm pushing 70 on, uh, in a good way. And, uh, you know, it's uh, old people and feeble people. And, you know, I don't feel old, but let's, let's get honest. I'm, uh, I'm in the later part of my life one way or another. So this doesn't affect us, but on page 132, page 132, and this will be in the show notes of the Pfizer vaccine, contraindications. It basically says that you should not have sexual intercourse, intercourse, that kind of intercourse, for 30 days, that's a month, for young people who would be possibly reproducing and having children. So don't fuck for 30 days or you could be fucked. Because basically they, they don't know what's going to happen to the DNA. Perhaps nothing, perhaps something. Of course, they're denying that it's unsafe and it's even okay with warnings for pregnant women, but it's one big international worldwide experiment. And they just don't know for sure what's going to happen. And your reproductive system goes a little haywire, perhaps, we don't know, and your children, as a result of fucking after that second inoculation, because it takes two, it takes two, baby, it takes two. So after that second inoculation, I know I'm, I'm pursuing my musical career as a uh, as a baritone after this. Um, you can have kids, you could, not saying you will, might not. You could have kids that they have no fucking idea, pun intended, what's going to happen, what could be born, or what could go wrong with the children you have if you have sex within 30 days of that second inoculation. Maybe nothing, but they don't know because they haven't had a chance to find out because our generation is the experiment. Now, the older of us that are not going to have kids, who cares? But as inoculations come into the younger, and I don't think anyone has said anything on the news just yet because no one's read the page 132, including any doctor, um, I don't think that they really want to promote this a lot because it might prevent a lot of people from wanting to have the vaccination. You know, you take your average, you know, 40, 45 year old, 30 year old, even 50 year old, um, that's, you know, bonking away with boyfriends, girlfriends, husband, wife, sister, brother, da you know, daughter, granddaughter in Alabama, uh, in West Virginia, whatever the case may be. Just kidding. Um, I, I meant, I meant Ohio. 
and uh, vanilla. But who's going to not have sex for a month? They're just going to go, oh, fuck it. Or they're not going to know, or the doctor won't have told them. So long after we are gone, we may find out a big surprise. You got some explaining to do when we see what happens to the next generation as a result of this unique experiment. Again, all brought to you from China. And um, I don't think it would be good for the uh, stock, the shares of the respective producing companies of the vaccine to really promote that. You know, good luck, don't fuck, or you'll be fucked. And no will flu for you. So we shall see. I just thought I'd put that little tidbit out there that I'd uh, read and uh, reread because I think it's the basis of perhaps if I decide to ever get off my butt and write another screenplay, that's a tremendous premise. Oh, everyone listening out there right now, good idea, good idea, steal it, steal it. Hey, go ahead. It's yours. Every idea is out there. And uh, you know what? If you... You want to go ahead and write that? Go ahead and write it, because I'll probably never get off my butt to write another new one. But if I was, that could be it. Becoming like a new mutants, new world mutants, next generation. You know, the, the Pfizer children, the Azteca children. Now, speaking of screenplays, while we are speaking of screenplays, one of the things that I love about this podcast and have loved about this podcast is that it's all mine. Mine, all mine. I control the audio. I control the video. I control everything. There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. Nothing. Don't. We are controlling transmission. Too late. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. Yes. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. Yes. You have reached the outer limits in this podcast. I hope people remember that. That was 1961. That was a shit scary show if you were a kid, if you were eight like me. Um, But one thing I love about this podcast, see what a time travel. People are just going back to seeing that black and white image sitting on the floor in front of the RCA TV, watching Channel 4, Sioux City, Iowa, going, God, I was there. You were. But you're here again, back in the hot tub time machine. The podcast is controlled by me. So, as I'll sit in my hot tub time machine, my uh, hot tub spa up at the tennis club, and think of things, and then write them down or put them in my phone, and then get back here, and if I need to, pre-record it, or usually just spin right through the majority of it on a Friday morning, before posting it, and adding all the pictures and show notes and links and things like that. It's a a pretty intense, I mean, not intense like doing roofing in Galveston, Texas in July uh, when it's, you know, 190 
doing, you know, intense manual labor, manual labor, um, one reason to open the wall. Yeah, don't build the wall for that. But uh, I get to just do whatever I want. And uh, I do edit it a little bit, um, have advisors and um, my crack production team in, uh, in Vallejo, California, which used to live in Pinole, which um, retired, which went on, uh, went on the government, you know, handout. And, you know, they're just, they're gone. They're gone. They're dead to me. But uh, I run through it and uh, then I publish it and then you get to hear it. Now, as a screenwriter, this past 40 plus years, the horrible thing about screenwriting is that you get so excited with the concept, like, oh my God, people, young couple takes the vaccine for the wolf flu and they have children and their children years later grow up and be like zombies, end up like, you know, Maxine Waters in LA uh, or, you know, crazy Maisie Hirono and become, you know, one-eyed zombies and go berserk. And it's all a result of the fractured DNA one generation later. Uh, maybe maybe two generations later. We don't even know there. I don't care, though, because I won't be here. But so I think that up. I get really excited. And, you know, and then I'll uh, maybe write a quick treatment, call the agent. Um, the agent will go, well... I don't know. Or he or she will get really excited, and then you get really excited, and uh, then you go ahead and write it on spec. And writing on spec means, you know, like building a spec home. You're doing it for free. Or you find somebody who's a producer that go goes crazy, that can't wait to be a part of that, and they go raise some money, and then you get paid, and, you know, get paid a bunch to write it. But just like, you know, drawing up plans for a house or a building, being the architect, it really only counts to the writer when the home is built or the building is built. So no matter how many months or years I put in on a screenplay or how much I get paid on it, it still only excites me at the end when it's made. And uh, the podcast has that amazing, amazing feeling of completion, thought of it, written it, created it, shot it, put it in the can, and then out it goes. And so it's a gratification that is so rare in screenplay because people say, oh, it's so great when you finish your screenplay and type the end. Well, 99.4% of screenplays suck. So it is satisfying when you you do do that and you know the film's going to get made, but you never know because I can tell you on two hands the number of screenplays that I personally had that, um, you know, were in various stages of either there was some money attached or there was an actor attached or a director attached or uh, a lot of money attached and it was ready to go. And, you know, it was the, the night before casting and the major investor pulled out or a partner changed his or her mind, or went another direction, or it just got too hard for them. It just got too hard. But um, not that they were bad people, but um, I've learned over the years one thing that um, partners generally generally suck. Generally suck. They They rarely, rarely, sometimes, sometimes, but they rarely add up 
to more than the sum of the parts, unless once in a while you find that collaborator, that partner that not only augments what you already have, but brings something to the table that you don't have at all and makes it all happen. But more often than not, and I found it out late in life, you find someone that shares the vision, but their way of getting to that vision is different. And they have other agendas, their own agendas. Not that it's anything evil or negative or malevolent or grotesque or, you know, conspiratorial. It's just that they have their lives. And your baby, your dream, your screenplay is stillborn when they take off or they go another way. And especially if you're a writer and you've assigned ownership to a, another producer, which is why I went into producing to control my destiny, but in many cases signed off or was financed by a producer and then that, you know, got paid and then that film never got made. Got paid, it didn't get made. Now, could it be made next week, next year, 10 years, 100 years, never, nobody knows. And uh, um, those people out there know who they are and it's in their hands. But the podcast gives me that satisfaction. And uh, this is the conclusion of a 41 series show. So 41 Eps, not as many as maybe Seinfeld, not as many as maybe Bonanza, but more than, more than many. So uh, very satisfying, very, very satisfying. And uh, I have to make sure that I end this with that veracity and excitement and ambiguity and completion and nuance and befuddlement that I got with the ending of Sopranos in 2007 which absolutely still has knocked me out, knocked me out, you know, 13 years later. And now the movie, The Sopranos Origin Series, The Many Saints of Newark, with um, the son of the late Tony Soprano, Michael Gandolfini, son of James Gandolfini, in the uh, titular role, is as one of my most awaited films of whenever whenever it finishes up and gets out there. Who knows? In this woo-flu world. So that's one model for this. And also Deadwood. If you haven't watched Deadwood, HBO's Deadwood, how is this segued into the entertainment? Oh, my God, I knew we forgot something. Take it away, Earl. God, how could I forget the intro? I just started getting so excited about entertainment that I forgot the beautiful 20th Century Fox theme. Thank you, you foxes, you. What the fuck's up? But uh, as I said, Deadwood, if you haven't watched this, this is the entertainment section. If you're new to it, it's the entertainment section. If you're a veteran, you know, oh my God, it's doing things really out of order. It's throwing us off. If you're driving, you, you're, you're probably... Keep, keep both hands on the wheel for a few minutes here. You'll, you'd just be thrown off. You'd be thrown off like Richard Pusey on the, uh, on the Monash or the Westgate. But, 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 Deadwood, HBO, 
one of the most amazing series ever. It was only on for three seasons. It was created by David Milch. David Milch is, you know, without a doubt, one of the most talented people on the history of the planet. Hill Street Blues, Bay City Blues, L.A. Law, NYPD Blue, True Detective. Um, I mean, fuck me. Unbelievable. But uh, Ian McShane is the bad motherfucker saloon owner. Timothy Oliphant is the coolest, coolest sheriff ever. Brad DeReef, one of my all-time favorite actors. Brad DeReef, his debut was in an old film with Tommy Lee Jones and Faye Dunaway, Faye Dunaway, Faye Dunaway, she's fading away, called The Eyes of Laura Mars and Brad DeReef as, uh, you know, he, he was a very strange cat. Uh, if you haven't seen Eyes of Laura Mars, there's a film for you to see. But anyway, Deadwood, uh, unbelievable. It, it aired on HBO from March 21st, 2004 to August 27th, 2006. Anyway, it had three seasons, 36 episodes. It's set in the 1870s in Deadwood, South Dakota, before and after the area's annexation by the Dakota Territory. Anyway, all kinds of historical figures appear in it. Uh, Wyatt Earp, George Crook, E.B. Farnham, George Hurst, Wild Bill Hickok, Calamity Jane, and the Charlie Utter. And uh, it's, it's amazing. It is the best Western ever. And it just inexplicably just was canceled. Inexplicably. No idea. And, you know, after several years of discussion, you know, HBO just basically said, fuck it. But, but, years later, years later, as in last year, Deadwood the movie came out. And it premiered on May 31st, 2019. So I had some closure. I absolutely had some closure. So... What am I flagging here? Sopranos, 2007. Now there's a movie coming out. Deadwood, now a movie just came out. Maybe, maybe there'll be a way it is movie anthology someday in the future. Maybe it'll come out in like 2049 or something, like Blade Runner 2049 and... People watch and go, oh, my God, this is fantastic. People go, oh, it's based on the Way It Is podcast way back in 2020, the year of the Wu flu. And then people will, you know, look it up on whatever search engine is there. Hopefully Google will be gone, long gone. And they'll go, oh, wow, that was Bobby Galinsky. Whatever happened to him? And then they'll look and see that he disappeared under mysterious circumstances from a DNA mutant as a result of the vaccine. And then they'll just get in this long thread of what really happened and stuff like that. Now, I'm just getting a bit fantastical there because I do love looking up things and discovering things. Go, oh, my God, I didn't realize this guy did this and this and this and getting in that thread. Um, that's how I discovered David Allen. David Allen, who everybody in England knows, but I didn't know. My wife turned me on to David Allen, this fantastic comedian, long dead, who just sat there and interviewed people and... Um, smoked about a thousand cigarettes and was missing a finger. And I thought, how could I grow up and not know about this guy? This guy is everything that, you know, is this ultra coolness. So just knowing that, I feel smart, like you should. Check out the big brain on bread. You're a smart motherfucker, that's right.
That's right. You'll be a smarter motherfucker too. And anyway, David Allen, who we just, you know, got to go into, um, he was Irish, which, you know, I forgive him, but he was also born in early July. So he was a Cancerian like me. And many of you know, I'm a Cancerian. There is rising. A Pisces moon in the 12th house, which is why I can get so maudlin and dark at times. And people might mistake it for evil or not empathic, but simply darkness. Anyway, back to David Allen. David Allen was pretty much the coolest social commentator and observational comic of the late 60s. And I cannot believe that, you know, I didn't know about him. He would you know, deal with issues, racism and drugs and all kinds of cool things like that, which was way, way ahead of his time. But back in 1963, he actually toured Australia. He was super successful and he was offered to headline a TV talk show on Channel 9 called Tonight with David Allen, which was also very successful. However, six months after his TV debut, you know, things are going well, you know, let's, let's, let's try not to fuck that up. He was banned from the Australian airwaves when, during a live broadcast, he told the show's producer, who had been pressing him to go to a commercial break, to, quote, go away and masturbate, end quote, so that he can continue an entertaining interview with Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Well, the ban was dropped quietly as Alan's popularity continued unabated. Now, he used to just sit on a stool smoke and drink. And uh, you know what? How cool was that? How cool was that? Anyway, you don't have people like that anymore. Everybody is just too politically correct. You can't say anything naughty. I mean, this guy was Irish and he was totally taking apart Catholics and the IRA and everything <coughs> during, you know, all the IRA madness in uh, Britain and stuff like that. So uh, absolutely fearless. And that's what good comedy can be. I miss that. And I'm sorry that I missed him, but it was great to discover him nonetheless later in life. And that should just about do it for... No, no, it's not. I just had a thought. I wish I had the chance to see it before... The show, but it hasn't opened yet, but I'm going to see Nomadland this next week. And um, Nomadland looks like to be my new favorite film. Sometimes you can just know something's going to be good before you see it. Or sometimes you can see the trailer and you think, uh, that might suck. You can't tell it will suck until you see it. And I don't like people to go, that's going to suck. Because that's not fair. You got to see it and then judge. But Nomadland with Francis McDormand looks amazing. And it's about an older lady, gray nomad, who's lost everything and goes on the road. And just about everything she's in is astonishing. And the film by uh, Chloe Zhao won uh, Best Film at the uh, Film Critics Award. So I'm excited. And that is the entertainment news, which takes us to the mighty, 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 mighty theremin. Judy, 
the mighty, mighty theremin with Somewhere Over the Rainbow bringing us into science, bitches. And Somewhere Over the Rainbow reminds me, of course, of Judy Garland. And Judy Garland may have had the first Wu flu vaccine because I think something happened in the DNA of her child, anyone who has closely watched Liza Minnelli would know something's not right there. Anyway, some people go, I love Liza Minnelli. I love, I love, 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 you know, cats and all that jazz. And I just love that. Oh, you know what? I've said it for 41 episodes. I fucking hate musicals. Don't like them. There's a few. There's a few that I've liked. I liked South Pacific when my parents took me to see it. And, uh, Trying to think of anything else. Speaking of musicals, you know what I loathed? I wanted to like it. I loved the opening sequence. And then it just went downhill into an abysmal miasma of nothingness. It's fucking La La Land. Oh, I love La La Land. If you're an actor or if you're gay, you liked La La Land. That's it. I love La La Land. Loved everybody in it. But oh, it was so trite. Of course it won Best Picture. Everyone votes for themselves. Now, what's sad is that Damien Chazelle, the director and creator, had done the most amazing film of the decade almost with Whiplash. Whiplash is one of my perhaps 20 favorite films of all time. And with J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller, and right down to the last frame, that last frame, flawless film, amazing film. And it got Best uh, Adapted Screenplay nomination, but oh, that's about it. So, of course, they reward him later with La La Land, which phew, goes into the most average. I'm going to watch it again this year just to give it one more chance. And you know what? Since I'm not going to have any more podcasts, I won't have to apologize or recant or change, but I'm going to give it one more chance. You know, maybe, maybe. And then Chazelle followed up with First Man, which again, I do love Ryan Gosling, who, you know, he had in La La Land. And First Man could have been amazing, except that it got all wimped out and, you know, lefty, you know, socialist, don't show the flag at the end, don't go jingoistic and, you know, just wimp out. It could have been one of the most emotional moments in the most emotional film, but... It was just a guy in a can in space. So maybe Whiplash was his rosebud. Maybe it was his Orson Welles moment and everything else will just follow. We'll see over the years. We'll see. But I can tell you one thing. I will never pay another penny to go see a musical in the cinemas ever again. Mark my words, you heard it here. Ever, if you see me in a musical, then by all means, come up to me and go, you promised, you promised you would never, ever, ever go to a musical in a cinema again. You lied. It's okay if other people are watching the musical because I don't want to break a promise. I don't want to break a promise. Speaking of breaking a promise, this is science, bitch.
witches, and I promised you science for the very last time. And I just need you to know from ZME Science by TV Piriu, one of the coolest sites, that did you know it takes a photon, a photon up to 40,000 years to travel from the core of the sun to its surface, but yet only eight minutes. Eight minutes which is the average length of Eliza Minnelli marriage, to travel the rest of the way to Earth. A photon travels on average a particular distance before being briefly absorbed and released by an atom, atom ant, which scatters it in a new random direction. So, to travel from the sun's core to the sun's surface, which is 696,000 kilometers, so it can escape in the space, a photon needs to make a huge number of drunken jumps. The calculation's a bit tricky, but the conclusion is that the photon takes many thousands and many millions of years to drunkenly wander to the surface of the sun. So in a way, some of the light that reaches us today is energy produced millions of years ago, which many people know. Now, closer to the home, closer to the home, right here in Australia, at over 2,000 kilometers long, the Great Barrier Reef is the largest living structure on Earth. Now, you might have thought that Rosie O'Donnell was the largest living structure on Earth, but you'd be wrong. Coral reefs consist of huge numbers of individual coral polyps, which are soft-bodied invertebrate animals that are linked together by tissue. And the Great Barrier Reef is an interlinked system of about 3,000 reefs and 900 coral islands divided by narrow passages. Now, we've been up there. We've, we've uh, snorkeled up there. It is astonishing. It is astonishing. And lastly, lastly, this is so important. This is so important. Grasshoppers have ears in their bellies. Unlike humans, grasshoppers do not have ears on the side of their head. Don't touch their ears. Don't touch their ears. Like the ears of people, the grasshopper's sound detector is a thin membrane called the tympanum or eardrum. And in adults, the tympanum is covered and protected by the wings and allows the grasshopper to hear the songs of its fellow grasshoppers. Simple, easy, helpful, useless, and useful all at the same time and that is science bitches not as good really as the science of the potential and i'd say only rumored potential problem of the wolf flu vaccine but nevertheless a bit more compatible for your family dinner conversation or stump the children It's my ass-kicking outfit, bitch. And if you're going to be talking about ass-kicking outfits, we've got to pay homage and say au revoir to the master of licensing, Pierre Cardin, who died just a few days ago at age 92. And there's going to be some amazing pictures from his life in the show notes. I don't have any Pierre Cardin products. I don't have anything of his to wear. 
But he was the genius, the space age. He also designed the groovy kind of fast forward, fashion forward outfits that the Beatles had on in their Meet the Beatles album cover, those colorless jackets and unbelievable legend. Never did the same thing twice. Always ahead of the pack and just a cool, groovy guy. Cool, groovy guy. But what is your podcaster wearing? Well, let me tell you, let me tell you. I figured for the last episode, I would suit up and I am suited up in a suit, a windowpane suit, very lightweight for our summer, from Scotch and Soda. Now, Scotch and Soda began as a men's wholesale brand in Amsterdam. It, in 2000, it was bought by Eric Bildsma, Patrick Munsters, and Joab Cruels. God help me if I pronounced it badly. Sorry, guys. Then it rebranded and relaunched a year later by Tom Puick, Mies Buick, Brian Jansen, and Leonard Buzz. Scotch and Soda... Primarily manufactures premium and upmarket men's clothing and women's clothing under the brand Maison Scotch, boys' clothing under Scotch Shrunk, and girls' clothing under Scotch Arbel, denim and urban products under Amsterdam's Blau and a line of fragrances called Barfly. Scotch and Soda was acquired by the brand house Kelwood Stables, an affiliate of Sun Capital Partners in 2011, and they make super groovy clothing. Very reasonably priced by designer methods and uh, totally unique. It just doesn't look like anything else. Fantastic. Discovered it discovered it by accident in Noosa a couple years ago and then um, in the city here. Now, what am I walking on? When I'm walking here, I'm walking here on Cesare Pecciati, my favorite shoemakers. And Cesare Pecciati was born from the marriage between Cecilia and Giuseppe Pecciati in Cittadinovo-Parache, a small city in the province of Maccarata in central Italy. That's on the east side facing the Adriatic Sea. Now, his father had founded a shoe company in 1948, and Cesare studied at the prestigious Drama, Art, and Music Studies degree course at the University of Bologna before inheriting the family business in 1980. And, lo and behold, it's New Year's Day. He is born on New Year's Day. So, what more can you say? Who makes better shoes than the Italians? And Pecciati is known for his really groovy luxury shoes and leather goods and is famous for its dagger logo. And... Um, Inside, we've got a Zenya shirt and Zenya tie. So we've gone Italian and we've gone Dutch. You're not much if you're not Dutch. That's what they used to say in Orange City, Iowa at the Tulip Festival, which is uh, not far from where I grew up in Sioux City when we'd go up there. And what have I been, what's your podcaster been drinking? Well, free wine. Free wine? Yes, free wine, a beautiful bottle from the King of Elwood that um, I'll, be, uh, I'll be talking about the King of Elwood, who's in my big predictions for um, later this year and beyond. And uh, it was a beautiful bottle of Dandelion Vineyards, the Lioness of McLaren Vale Shiraz. And uh, thank you. 
King of Elwood. Very nice. Nothing like nice, free wine. And as we segue from fashion to the passion of imbibement and into the ovens, and no one can segue into the ovens better than Jews. Get set. Bake. On your marks. Get set. Bake. On your marks. Get set. Bake. On your marks. Get set. Bake. Well, what did we bake? What did your podcaster bake? You know what I baked? I baked a trip to Philippa's Bakeries for Christmas Eve. Because on Christmas Eve, we just didn't feel like baking. So we went up and we bought an amazing lemon tart. Philippa's is a local baker, which... um, is pretty, pretty solid, pretty solid, and they do a lot of beautiful things, but one thing they do amazingly is a lemon tart. It is so rich, but the lemon just kind of cuts through there so you don't feel too ghastly from the richness, and uh, we've just been uh, nibbling at that for several days, and there'll be pictures in the show notes. Sorry you can't get that outside of Melbourne, but we just didn't want to bake. And um, as far as that oven segue, some people think, how can he say that? Well, he's Jewish. And after all, I have done it six million times. So that is what your podcaster is wearing, drinking, sharing, and baking for the last time this year and beyond. Next, the FBI in color. Well, 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 the FBI, they're always listening. They're always listening. Well, I think it's time to just throw out, since the FBI is always listening, a couple of wiretaps into the future, a couple of predictions, a couple of things just to throw out there as 2021 launches. Well, first of all, first of all, We'll be counting down our top 10 predictions. Now, I'm not going to put a time limit on most of these. It might take a few weeks, a few months. Maybe they'll even show up in years. But in descending order from number 10 to number one, number 10 in the way it is, Bobby Galinsky exclusive podcast predictions, number 10. Over 25% of cinemas worldwide will shutter permanently. Not shudder like an earthquake, but shutter, close, that's for the liberals, permanently by the end of 2022. Number nine, 95% of feature films will have less than a one-week exclusive at cinemas before going to streamers. And this will happen by the end of 2021. 95%. They'll have a week at the cinema at best, then stream. It's all day date. Number eight, Joe Biden will not serve out his term as president of the United States if installed. Past 24 months, and it will end not as a result of ill 
health or age, but as a result of his legal conflicts of his and his son's dodgy foreign business interests. Number seven, vinyl records will outsell CDs for the first time in 34 years. Now, I cheated. I cheated. That actually happened just like today. I saw it on the news, but um, I had to have one sure thing. Vinyl records outselling CDs. That's quite amazing, really. Everything old is new again. Number six, a Republican will be elected president of the United States in 2024 in a landslide. Number five, IQ tests will be given to people running for the U.S. Congress no later than 2026 midterms. IQ tests will be given to avoid the current situation where the absolutely dumbest people in America are all collectively in both the Senate and the House. And I'm equally talking Democrats and Republicans. It is embarrassing how stupid our lawmakers are on both sides. Number four, the King of Elwood will so dominate Elwood and surrounds in his vast Game of Thrones-like White Walker real estate blitzkrieg that the area will be renamed Game and Land no later than 2025. Number three, dogs will have to learn to bow to cats worldwide, acknowledging their superior sentient animal superiority. And cats will force all statues of dogs around the world pulled down as racist by the radical feline society Nine Lives Matters. Number two, there will be no white, straight male actors, directors, or filmmakers ever seen again on a film or TV set after 2023 in a primary role. This cultural ethnic cleansing will be known as whitewashing in the industry, and even the term white noise will be banned from all editing studios in order to ensure inclusiveness. And number one, Number one in the predictions, other than bushfires, there will be bushfires in Australia. There will be bushfires. But number one, the way it is official Bobby Galinsky podcast will enable a cult following greater than any film or stage show ever and will be rebooted in 2027 as... Lo and behold, a musical, a musical, no, scored by Mick Hucknell, Ed Sheeran, Mumford and Sons, and Nickelback, with Celine Dion singing the theme, My Podcast Will Go On, with Brian Ferry playing Bobby Galinsky, and a cameo from Al Pacino playing him late in life, which I will be forced to attend the premiere of, and thus break my blood oath promise of never attending another musical ever. Yes, yes, yes. I know, I know. It sounds amazing. So keep tabs of those because they could be happening. They will be happening. They might be happening. We don't know. I mean, really, really, do you know that in the Denver Post just this past week, courtesy of Louie Louie, the greatest keyboardist of all time, 
He sent me a fact that I didn't know. Do you know how many ceiling fans sold at Home Depot have been recalled after it was found that their blades could detach, could detach while spinning, causing injuries and property damage? I'm waiting. 190,000. 190,000 ceiling fans have been recalled from Home Depot as a result of detached blades. So, uh, and they were made in China. So anything is possible, folks. Anything is possible. Now, just a couple of couple of last things just to throw out there. I was going to do a top 10 films of the decade. I can't be bothered. I just have to say the one film in the past 24 months that I've probably seen five times that just keeps sticking with me is Uncut Gems. The Adam Sandler film. Now, if you're thinking Adam Sandler and you haven't seen this, you're thinking, you know, um, silly comedies, things like that. And yes, he was the master of the silly comedy early on, you know, Happy Gilmore, things like that. But Uncut Gems is a masterpiece in drama and twists. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. That's just the one that um, I think sits with me the most the past two years and um, that eclipses the tone of this whole show. Surprises, Grand Designs, New Zealand. I never thought that I would watch a home-building show with people with New Zealand accents, which is possibly one of the three worst accents, the three worst accents in the world. It's fantastic. Um, New Zealand, South Africa, can't believe it, South Africa. And Wales, Wales, um, other than, of course, Richard Burton and Tom Jones. Um, but Grand Designs, New Zealand, is amazing. And the host is astonishing. So if you've ever wanted to build a house, and I've always had a bucket list of really wanting to build a house, but knowing how it usually ends in disaster with... Um, the partners, the husband and wife, the friends, whatever, and costs and insanity. That's going to be one of those things in the next life, it seems. But I love fantasizing about that. And uh, it's amazing. The original show with Kevin McLeod, the UK show, was amazing. The Australian one is very good, unlike the Australian uh, franchise of Top Gear. Top Gear one, one of the nine worst shows ever made here, um, other than any Ben Elton special. And uh, also, also just, you know, like random things, random things. Uh, I will be also predicting that I'll be winning my division in the Kuyong tennis tournament in February. I'm going to upset the crowd. I'm going to upset the crowd and win my division, which will be a low division. Don't worry. Don't worry. These are other just random predictions. Just want to give a bit of a shout out to um, some amazing people. The uh, the past week, the amazing Andy, who owns Sports Conscious in Brighton, who um, enabled the fact that I've got some groovy running shoes now that uh, I can walk in for the next year or two. No, just a top top store. The good folks up the street at Super Random Coffee, Abraham, Mina, Koki, Jenny, Mao, Rita, and Rachel, who have kept me coffeed up during all of this amazing, amazing group of people, although they've just closed for a week. They've closed, closed for a week. So they make my home coffee, which is very Australian of them, you know, just quit and do nothing. It's the Australian way. 
No, actually, the Australian way is wonderful. It's been blessed to live here and uh, blessed to be from America and to all my friends there, my friends in the UK, friends all over the world who have listened to this show and made it go. And um very happy with that. It achieved far more than I ever expected when uh, I started it out in, uh, early in the year, just uh, when lockdown. And here at press time, it's going to be locked down again, just about as we go out to air here as I see emails popping in of now having to wear masks everywhere as suddenly clusters are popping up here in Victoria as a woo flu has come back again, just in the space of recording this podcast. So I just want to read you one thing to let you go. And it makes a lot of sense. It's about doing your best and being great and trying to do something. And that's the paradox of discernment from the good man, Seth Godin. The typical 10-year-old violinist can't tell the difference between a cheap instrument and a guarneri. A harried traveler simply wolfs down a hamburger, not really worried or aware of its provenance or flavor. And a bureaucrat buys whatever is cheapest and meets the spec, without regard for how well it's designed or the supply chain that created it. Enthusiasts will work their whole lives their whole lives to be able to tell the difference in how an orchestra sounds or how the chocolate is tempered or the simple elegance of thoughtful engineering. And then, once we do, the incompetent or mediocre stuff isn't worth much. In order to appreciate the truly great work, we often end up becoming disappointed with the rest. There's nothing that disappoints me more than mediocrity. So I hope you found this far more than mediocre. I hope you have excellent lives. And I won't see you next week, but I'll see you when I see you. So those immortal words, good night and good luck. Conductor. Take us out of here one more time.